Hey family, welcome to the Realizing Revelation 7-9 podcast of Presbytery of San Fernando Production. Realizing Revelation 7-9 means we are awakening to new meaning in Revelation 7-9, and we are working to make Revelation 7-9 a reality. I'm your host, Mark Fields, and this week we get to hang with Reverend Christina Chambers of First Presbyterian Church of Granada Hills. She generously shares with us what she describes as her awkward, scary, and kind of embarrassing diversity journey of growing up a white woman in Houston and the events that shifted her perspective. She shares how her theological interpretations have shifted and how she sees God inviting us to a much more diverse picture of community in Revelation 7-9. Hey family, welcome to the Realizing Revelation 7-9 podcast, a presbytery of San Fernando production. Realizing Revelation 7-9 means that we are awakening to new meaning in Revelation 7-9, and we are working to make Revelation 7-9 a reality. I am Mark, and today we get to hang with Christina Chambers. She has been a part of the Presbytery for 14 years. She's been a chaplain at Holy Cross. A part of that time, she is a a parish associate at Granada Hills Presbyterian Church. She's been a part of several different causes and advancing diversity in the presbytery so the advancing leaders of color uh task force she was a part of that she was a part of the biblical justice and race uh learning cohorts she's just been a part of these spaces christina we wanted to have this conversation with you and i'm really really grateful that you made time to have it welcome good morning Good morning. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me into this conversation. Absolutely. Christina, it's so funny. I really just want to go straight for the jugular here, (laughs) but we need to kind of invite people there. So Christina, would you kind of locate yourself culturally and help people understand like your cultural background? Sure. Um, Happy to. So um, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and I grew up in a very wealthy, white bubble um, of what I would call a fairly insulated bubble. Um, My church was that way. My school was that way. um, My neighborhood. And so I really didn't understand myself as white I didn't I I just in my mind being white was the norm Mm -hmm. and so I think that that that's where I that's where I have come from um and it has taken me so long um and a lot of work with from a movement in God's um in God's working in me to understand that mm-hmm. I'm not, oh gosh, Mark, this is really, a, <laughs> I'm really struggling with this. Um, that, that white is not the, what's the word? Help me out here. Um, 
like the baseline identifying it's not the core mm, what i want to say is the um measure it's not the default (laughs) (laughs) like in america Mm. you know Mm -hmm, that 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 white skin is not the default in america um that every single person has a place at this table and every single person has a unique story. Um, Mm. That is so meaningful, Christina. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm pausing because I'm thinking about how I've had conversations, and for me, one of the spaces that I'm most ignorant in is the space of disability. And I recently had a conversation with a sister around disabilities, and I found myself the same thing you're doing when you're trying to grasp for the right words to like communicate the right thing. And so I just wanted to uh, express that not that that's what you're feeling or that's what you're doing or whatever, but I, I know the feeling of, man, I really want to make sure like I'm communicating right because this matters to me and you matter to me and I don't want to say something that offends you or I don't want to get it wrong. And so I just, I really appreciate how thoughtful you're being around your words and like that that you would communicate, locate yourself that way and it communicates that you've done some work around you talked about this table and who's invited and maybe who's prioritized at the table or, or all these kinds of things back to what you meant about the baseline or like the, the common or centered experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that. So that leads me to say what, maybe what instigated so you came from houston there I've, I've been to houston a couple of times and i i've seen some of the the racial history i did some work in richmond and thinking about some of the white supremacist statues that are still there and the discrepancy of the allocation of resources mm-hmm. on this side of the track versus this side of the track mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of NASA and oil money and all the kinds of things that exist in Texas in general and Houston specifically. So for you coming up in that, in the school environment, all these places that where you never really had to think about racial identity, what were some of the things that woke you up to racial identity and equity and justice in a way that would make you become this voice on a task force like advancing leaders of color or biblical justice and race? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's, it's one that, um, as I share my answer, it's almost embarrassing a little bit of, Mm. wow, it's taken me so long to, as you say, wake up and to see the world in a different lens um, and try to see it from someone else's perspective. But then at the same time, it might feel a little embarrassing, but it's also, I'm grateful that God has given me some events in my life and has taught me and 
shown me that there are different ways to look at the world. Um, so I would say one of the interesting um, things about growing up was my dad, as you mentioned, my dad is in the oil business. And so with that comes a lot of privilege and <clears throat> wealth. But he was he is also a very well-known jazz keyboardist in Houston. And so he jams mm. every week <laughs> with uh. um, a bunch of um, really cool um, black men and women. Um, and he that's who he rolls with, uh, which is really interesting. Um, to me, because it was never talked about in my family, it was just sort of what he did for fun. Um, but his that social um, those social interactions didn't impact his political ideas or any of the ways that he thought about society. It, it was such a dichotomy. Um, so then, back to your question of that, that that was sort of always on the back burner of my mind was. Um, how did how did those two worlds kind of coexist for him? Um, and then I would say that one of the biggest um, events for me that started to wake me up was Charlottesville in 2017. There mm -hmm. was that Unite mm -hmm. the Right rally. And mm -hmm. I actually went to the University of Virginia. So I think that because of that, because that place was a space that I knew as um, – wonderful, good memories, you know, a loving place where my faith grew and where I um, learned a lot about God and about myself, that these images on the screen of largely a lot of white men marching around on the grounds with swastikas and um, really troubling images mm. really helped me have a better understanding that there, this kind of evil exists um, in the world and in our country. It's white nationalists, um, white supremacists, and that their actions are causing a lot of pain. Um, and if I'm not working against that, then I'm in some ways enabling it. Mm. Um, and so that was a really powerful uh, event for me um, to help me sort of start learning and exploring what am I not seeing? Um, what have I been mm -hmm. complicit in? Mm -hmm. So what was your journey like after that? How do you start to educate yourself or find meaning or make sense of what you're seeing. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm also, I guess I'm going to go back to what you said about your father. And I think that what stood out to me about the thing about your father and these relationships that, that he loved, that he enjoyed, but that did not shape how he made decisions necessarily outside of his recreational time and to me, the question that came up is like, what centers our values or what are the things that become, that we allow to have the weight to stake, uh, to orient our compass or orient our values? And to me, it made me think of like Jesus and Jesus came from the slum of the slums, like 
Galilee. What good could come from Nazareth, let alone Galilee? I mean, and it's like he, but Jesus like identified with. So it wasn't, it wasn't this optional thing where like, I'm going to gig with you and we're going to have a great time. And then I'm like, then I go and it's just like, then I go back to like my oil stuff and you guys go back to like, you know, I'm not even, even know the time that this is happening, right? It's like, then you guys go back to like civil rights stuff. Then you guys go back to like working on whatever, all the other things. And it's just interesting, I think, that how we choose proximity and how we choose location and what we're like uh, located next to. And it doesn't, what I guess I'm saying is like, sometimes we can move next door. We can move into a neighborhood that is affected by so many things and still identify ourselves outside of that. I'm just here for a season. I'm just here for whatever. This sure. is where I guess I'm 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 feeling Jeremiah's voice when he says, "Be rooted. You guys are in Babylon. You're not going anywhere for hundreds of years. You're not going any- so root yourself there. Marry your children with their children. Create homes, build gar- create a garden. It's like no, no, no. You need to intertwine yourself with the lives of those. Mm. And then their matters will become your matters. Let me think about solidarity mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. way. So anyway, that came up for me when you talked about your father playing jazz with these folks. But then also like when it comes time to election. And and I'm not like judging either. Like I, he's thinking about your lives and creating wealth, generational wealth. And he's thinking about absolutely what he was raised around. And so mm-hmm. it just like... And I think that there are a lot of people like him where it's like, yeah, I, I love, you know, I, there's, there's so many black businesses around in my neighborhood and there's like, you know, Perry's joint is this incredible, the best sandwich spot in Pasadena. And Perry started himself 23 years ago, black man, incredible guy. And it's like, I could go, I could talk to Perry, buy his sandwiches and all that stuff. And still like, and not to be, I mean, but when it comes to making decisions, I'm not thinking about Perry. Mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that personally, but I'm saying right. like for people, you can stop in and it becomes auxiliary. It's not something that is orienting my life or my decision making. Sure. So I, th- I think Jesus models a, a, a different way about that. That came up for me when you talked about your dad. So we're back into your story and you're waking up. You've watched this happen. How do you navigate those emotions? Where are you turning to to find answers or to make meaning of what's happening? Well, I think a little bit of what you were just talking about um, is that getting to know people who have different stories and who and black and brown people who um, come from different backgrounds. Um, you were talking about proximity to them. I think the next step for me was prayerfully um, asking God to put people in my lives and in life and then intentionally creating more relationships with people um, that had different stories and different opinions and different voices, didn't think like I did, didn't look like I do. And then praying through how to see them when a ter- I mean when a, when a situation occurs like you know a hurricane um, 
you know, who are the people that are going to be most affected by that? Well, it's probably going to be those who are um, you know, below the poverty line, don't have those, those generations of wealth, right? Um, so, you know, this is a big one, obviously, but George Floyd, you know, when he mm-hmm. was killed, it didn't affect me at all as a white woman. But it was in learning how it affected my black and brown brothers and sisters, I was feeling that pain. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a chaplain at Holy Cross, and I think that's a huge piece of my job is to try, even if I can't, even if I have not been in someone's shoes, if I have not walked that walk, but to at least sit with them, feel, try to feel what they're feeling, be, um, be a basin for some of what they're going through and hold that with them. Um, So when I'm seeing my um, black and brown brothers and sisters in pain, I think that's something that I can't ignore, um, that I want to lament with them and, um, try to, try to understand the world a little bit better through their eyes. Christina, I I really appreciate you sharing how seriously you took that moment and what it looked like for you to make relationships, meaningful relationships, and then to start seeing the world and seeing these events through, not just through their eyes when they're telling you how they're feeling about it, but to imagine how could this impact them. And to me, what came up for me when you were sharing that is that some of the data around inclusion and diversity shows that a lot of people aren't willing to change their mind or to do make a different decision until your child, until this affects your child. And it makes me think of like all the movies throughout history around guess who, whether it is a black man bringing home a white woman or a white woman bringing home a black man. But the ways that the family now has to adjust around that because as humans, we like opt into whose reality I will allow to affect my reality. Mm, And all of like the marketing image around me just tells me like, I always used to think in in throughout like my ministry career, I'd always think of comparison two ways. And all the media has me looking up to like Jeff Bezos makes a hundred million an hour or something like that. We're always like looking upward but never like comparing downward or associating ourselves downward. But Jesus embodied like downward mobility, Philippians chapter one, forsaking all the glory of heaven and Mm -hmm. the beautiful kind of poetic nature of humility and surrendering and saying like, not just from Galilee, from Nazareth, I identify with them. I identify with those who've been outcast and marginalized because of their they, their leprosy because of their cultural heritage as a Samaritan mm-hmm. or as right. an Egyptian right. uh, from these other places that were condemned as a woman, the Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. And, but Jesus modeled this, like how you treat them is how you treat me. We even see it at the very end when he's talking about Matthew 25, you'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And da, da, da. And, and the, the scripture says, no, no, no what you have done to the least of these you've done to me, how you marginalize them is what you've done to me. 
I identify with them. And then he says, and what you wouldn't do for them, the ways you wouldn't relate to them, wouldn't prioritize them, you also wouldn't do for me. So don't act that. So that's some of the things that come up for me around how you allow relationship to give you new perspective. What comes up for you when I share some of that? I think what comes up for me is just how grateful I've, I am for some of those relationships. Um, and just the honor and the privilege of, of learning more about someone else's life and situation. Um, because these men and women that I'm thinking about, um, that I've become friends with, um, they don't owe me anything. They don't owe me their story. They don't owe me their time. Um, mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. it really becomes a sacred um, moment, a sacred space for me, um, and hopefully for them too. Um, but that that God is is reaching out and creating those bridges, those relationships that I don't think would be possible without the Holy Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was uh, thinking a lot about how in the church we self-segregate. You know, we have, what does that what is that very well-known phrase that the most segregated hour of yeah. the week is Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. or something? Yeah. Um, but when yeah, I'm working MLK. in the hospital, yeah. yeah, when I'm working in the hospital, it's everybody. It's all sorts of people. It, it, it almost feels a little bit more like the kingdom of God when I'm in the hospital meeting with people who are of all different backgrounds and genders and sexual orientations and um, they're, everybody's kind of sick or injured and we're all kind of struggling to get through it together, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you were talking about letting, letting um, other people affect us, you know, or, or, or orienting our lives around those who are marginalized, I just see that as a huge gift. And I'm just really grateful um, that God is even showing me, slowly starting to show me how I might do that. That's a huge gift Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about a couple things about how you, I don't, you know, how you mature and grow through this season post what you experienced 2017, you're growing, you're educating yourself, you're reading, which I think is a huge, huge, important part because I think a lot of people hear from a pastor or you've heard on YouTube or from somewhere like you should have a friend of color. You should have a diverse friend. And then this becomes (laughs) like your, I don't even know your travel buddy, your, I, I forget the word of it though. People who like take you on journeys in the mountain. I forget what they're called, but you you need your travel guide, and then they're gonna like, I don't know, translate all these experiences and and you know help you learn all this stuff. However, in 
the digital world of 2022, what we can actually do is not put our responsibility to learn or be educated and grow onto the back of a friend. We can actually use these small digital rectangles, uh, computers, uh, supercomputers now called phones, and you could go into one of the digital squares called Amazon, and you can literally, people have put their stories and their perspective there, and you can buy that, you can support them and educate yourself without putting your education and the responsibility of a new perspective onto somebody else who's enduring these kinds of things. And maybe what you spoke to earlier, Christina, experiencing the most weight around these events. Mm-hmm. So that comes up for me when you share that. But for you, when you're doing this education, I'm imagining there it feels awkward. There are some missteps and there are like this awkward space of growing and it's costing you something in the middle of that. Can you describe some of that? Are you asking me kind of what are some of the things that um, have helped me grow along the way? Or are you asking me also what are some things? Then I think there was another part of the question about what it's cost me. Like, is that two questions? It, it might even be three, to be honest. <laughs> However, <laughs> I really am more concerned about, at least at this moment, what it felt like to you taking some of those initial steps to be educated. Mm. I guess that, that, Mm. that deals with like, what were some of those steps, but then what did it feel like as you started stepping into that water? Because in my mind, stepping into that water is also kind of stepping away from your family of origin, which Mm. I, I don't know what that means or, or, but I do know, that many people have found themselves at odds at a Thanksgiving table or a Christmas dinner table or whatever around some of the steps that they've taken towards relationships and worldviews and values that don't quite reflect those relationships, worldviews and values of a family of origin. So I'm curious about some of that. Yeah, a lot of things sort of come to mind when you when you ask that, I would say starting in the journey of educating myself and, and learning, it's just awkward Mm -hmm. at first, just Mm -hmm. awkward and scary and embarrassing, you know, Mm. um, because, and humbling because there are so many incredible people, um, you know, yourself included, who have been in that water, so to speak, for their whole lives and who know so much about what it is. And and your experiences are so different than mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's embarrassing and awkward to think, well, I have no idea um, what you're going through. And so I think that for me, trying to remember that this was a this is and was you know a call of God to learn more about this and more about my black and brown brothers and sisters and to engage with them that that was what kept driving me to this because it's easy to honestly as a white person it's easy to not have to you don't have to think about it it's not something that 
we have to think about every day. And what I've heard from my friends is that, you know, black and brown people don't have the choice. You don't have the luxury to not think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's easy to read a book and then kind of step away. But I think to keep going in the awkwardness and in the humility, humble, you know, humility of it all, um, of I am learning, I am growing, God is teaching me. Um, it's not something that is comfortable, I guess. It's just mm-hmm. a, not a comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I guess that's the answer to one of your questions is, yeah, not to, to also to trust, <laughs> to trust that God is going to lead me through it and, and, and just to be teachable, I think, to be open to learning. Um, yeah. Um, and then you were also asking me kind of some of the things that it's cost me. I mean, I'm, yeah, i sure I've had some strained relationships because of it. Um, I've had some pushback, um, maybe in some of my sermons. Um, I, I do think that some people have left the church. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely some cost to it. But I feel like once your eyes have been opened to something, you can't really go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while it does sadden me that some of those relationships have changed, it's not something that I w- would ever want to undo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that comes to my mind when you're sharing I'm going to take it a step back and you talked about, I think it has to do with that uh, eyes being open. And I think one of the, I know a a teacher who says, you know, you say taste and see that the Lord is good and you can't untaste or unsee something Mm -hmm. once you've seen it. Mm -hmm. And when you taste and see that there is injustice, that taste is in your mouth, those visions once people are explaining to you, like, this is what it felt like to me. I think we'll have an episode with a pastor who shares about feeling tokenized. And this is what this, your invitation to try to live into diversity felt like tokenism. It felt very awkward and belittling to me, disrespectful to me. Um, But once you've tasted and seen and allowed different people's tastes and and sees to affect yours. You can't undo that. But I'm curious for you when you, you, cause you talked about this call of God, that God's call. I guess I'm, I'm processing around what I've just heard you say, because you start to say that. And I was thinking, well, tell me why you kept going. But I'm, I guess what you're saying is I had seen something. I couldn't unsee it. There was no turning back. Correct. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's very much like when the light switch has been flipped on, you can't turn it back off. Um, I guess you could, but I don't, I don't see myself as a person who can live in the world that way. I, I would like to think that I have some integrity in that the way that I think about things is the way I'm going to orient my life. The way that I, um, the way that God has, has taught me things is going to change my life and impact my life. Otherwise, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise I don't think that I can call myself a Christian. Mm -hmm. Wow. So when you say that, it makes me think about what the church is for. So how are people being formed? How are people following Christ? How are people being formed by Christ? Which is like, I mean, I guess for me, like I'm just starting to think out loud and it's like, well, if what we've been doing is kind of producing this kind of a thing and, you know, we just keep reading these reports of the ways that pastors are feeling like, whoa, how did, how did this change everything in my community? Like my people, when I mention Jesus proximity to the poor, care for neighbor, what it means to love my neighbor, um, to love those who hate me and to, to do good to those who persecute me. When did that have anything to do with like the political scene and why am I feeling run out of my own church? I'm curious to you when you, when you say that, like, it just makes me think of like, what is the church doing? How is the church forming people to be people whose relationships and connections to those who are different create a sense of, um, I don't know, like this decision-making flow that, that flows through the, not filter, but th flows through the lens of connected relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What would you speak to that about what, what you experience the church as doing, what your hopes for the church to be doing? I think honestly, I'm still trying to sort that out. Um, in my own mind, I, I think that there's a lot of places that we could do better with that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes, and I'll just speak for myself, um, as a white woman that I'm, there's fear there to talk about, some of those real issues um, or to talk about some of the difficult things that are going on with our neighbors. Um, you know, for instance, um, I'm just thinking about all of the people who have migrated to the United States, you know, that, um, that's a pretty hot button issue. And a lot of times we don't want to touch it in the church because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to upset anybody. Um, 
But then I guess back to your point is if we're not trying to help people think through these issues and more, moreover, trying to help them think about those people, those people mm-hmm. who Jesus had, was, has welcomed as guests. If we're not thinking about them and we're not trying to help people in the church think through that, then we're missing a lot of amazing opportunities to help form people in Christ. Um, I think that there are a lot of missed opportunities in the church to do that. Mm. I do, I do see, I do have a lot of hope that there are places, different churches that I've seen that are doing that work. Um, so that gives me some optimism. And then I also have to just trust that the Holy Spirit is using conversations like this to mm-hmm. maybe take the fear out of it a little bit uh, mm-hmm. and to encourage churches to kind of roll up their sleeves and get down into the, the dirty work of engaging these questions. It's, it's messy. And there's mm-hmm. people who are, get their feelings hurt. But I just don't know if we can ignore those anymore. Mm. Ignore that, those questions and ignore the, the real things happening in our world. Hmm. What's interesting to me about what you, what you just shared is that like, to me back to how the church is behaving is indicative of who it is, of, of who makes up the leadership, of who is like making decisions. And when you said about like, we can't keep ignoring these things, I thought, well, I guess we could, but then we would just see these this slow, steady stream of people who are like, well, this doesn't really matter for real life. So why would I go into that building? They're not talking about what's happening in Iran. They're not talking about climate mm-hmm. change. And, and you know what's mm-hmm. funny? As soon as I say climate change, like I'm thinking, oh, well, did I just locate myself on some spectrum <laughs> of political? And it's like, no, I didn't. I'm thinking about my daughters. There won't be a Salt Lake when they're older, when they have children, which means there won't be a Salt Lake City, which means there won't be like the snowing, the places where people go in Utah to like ski, that won't exist, which means like all the economics around all of that, like all of that's going to change. That's like real deal stuff. So when like, when I'm thinking about the beauty and the story of like, the creator God who creates creators in God's image and the beauty of tending to the garden and creating systems that flourish together. And we're in the system and in this situation, economic systems. Um, I'm thinking of these, like I'm thinking of the, the legal system, all these systems that are a reflection of our values and our choices as people, are they creating flourishing or are they drying up resources and creating like anti-shalom? I'm gonna. I don't even know the word for that. Mm. Hell on earth. Mm. I don't know. Uh, that's what comes up for me. That was my response to like starting to go down a track about like how people feel about walking into church, 
And we haven't even talked about what it looks and feels like when I walk in. We're only saying like, well, are we, are we bringing up things that matter? Okay, mm-hmm. that's one. Well, then how do we bring up the things that matter? And if I walk mm-hmm. into a room and all of the things that matter are coming out of perspectives and lives and bodies that don't look like mine and the perspective doesn't feel like it takes into consideration mine, whether it's had the same life experience or not. It's like, why do I go there? Why should I? Why would I? What's the point? I don't know. So that, that kind of comes up for me. What do you think? To your point, I think you're right. If we continue to ignore these issues in the white church or in some of the churches that I've, you know, been a part of in the past, um, that it will kind of create this space that's not connected to our reality. And I think that what I've seen is that a lot of younger people aren't interested in living in those spaces mm-hmm. that a lot of younger people mm-hmm. want to live an integrated life and see the church as something that doesn't really apply to them anymore. Is not meeting. Incongruent. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I can't, I can't integrate my life with that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where these other things are starting to make sense and be aligned to my values, what you talked about earlier, um, and to have that sense of integrity within myself, these things that I found to be true about God and goodness don't seem to be true or don't seem to be fanned into flame when I walk into this space or that space. And so for me to be in integrity and aligned, I can't go into that space. Or like, you know, let's say like I visit my parents and I don't want to create a big fuss. So I'll go sit in the space and I'm sure. just going to zone out and try to be respectful right. because this is not helping me to create integrity. This is, um, this is, I think about integrity versus disintegrity or disintegrating. And like, are we asking people to disintegrate their lives mm-hmm. by coming in or by listening to a certain kind of message or, and what I love about that, even as I say that it makes me smile because it's just one interpretation. There are, many interpretations that are congruent with scripture and congruent with the character and nature of Jesus and the work of the spirit throughout history. I think about the church in the South or the global South. I think about the liberation theology that came Mm -hmm. out of Mm -hmm. South America. I think about black liberation theology Mm -hmm. that took its lead from that liberation theology and James Cone and all the helpful Mm -hmm. things he's written that for me have helped me to find integrity and they've helped Mm -hmm. me integrate my faith and integrate my ideas of a good and gracious God and a God of solidarity. So for me, that's, it's helpful. That comes up for me when you talk about integrity and that value of like finding integration. And something that I have, started doing this is a very 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 small piece but something that I feel like I've been starting to do is use not only learn and open myself up to more of those voices you know um 
from liberation theologians and, and, and James Cone and things like that, but using those voices in my sermons. And, mm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, again, it, I could go back to this word, it's a little embarrassing, but when I look back at all my sermons before, I think, well, I've, I've only used dead white guys um, yeah. and their perspectives. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, and, and they are helpful, um, but it's also important to use and to learn from different voices because I really feel like if we don't, we are missing out on the richness and fullness of God. Mm-hmm. I, I do not have a, f- a full or at least I can't even grasp at the richness of God without learning from my brothers and sisters who are not me and who have those other perspectives. And so um, that's something really small I've started to do, but trying to expose um, parishioners to those voices and what do they look like? And, and hopefully maybe someone like you um, would find some integration, you know, in themselves um, in him or herself when they're listening to that voice. Mm. Which, which to me, it becomes that, um, because it's, it's much more than representation, but it, it, it becomes like, when the scripture says like, you know, my spirit bears witness with your spirit. Mm. And mm. for me, one of the reasons my spirit bears witness is because, oh, you understand, you understand what it could feel like to be me. I can hear it in your voice. I can hear that you've endured some of what I've endured or you're mindful of what I've endured. And so now my spirit bears witness with your spirit. I can listen. I can learn. I can surrender to your understanding because your understanding embodies um, solidarity. It embodies withness, like it embodies me. It embodies my experience, which is why for me. Or at least me, I'm like, trying to. Yeah, absolutely. At least I'm trying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when you use James Cone's voice, for me, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like someone, mm. like when you say like, when James Cone would say that the cross and the lynching tree and that Jesus was lynched in the town square. Mm -hmm. That's language that resonates with my bones and the embodied Mm -hmm. experience of like all that, you know, when we talked earlier in our conversation about like every time that I've, my hands begin to sweat and my face sweats and I begin to think about whether or not this is the last time I've seen my children when a police car pulls behind me, so when when you quote James Cone in the lynching tree, you have struck that nerve in my 36-year-old multi-ethnic body. And it just, it draws me. So it's, it's just like there's connection there. My spirit bears witness to that. That kind of God, that kind of Jesus who endured, who never like backed down. So back when we talk about like, choosing to be identified with and then choosing not to. And when the Roman government say, look, Jesus, I know you're not a bad guy. Give me something to work with here. And Jesus Mm -hmm. stays silent. I will not recant a word or a decision or an action or the location I've chosen. Choose Barabbas, that's fine. Let them choose Barabbas. They'll choose Barabbas over me. 
I'm, I'm too disruptive here, but I will not recant my word. And to have that image of God in flesh, my spirit bears witness to that. But how many times have I heard that? How many times have I heard that kind of understanding of what was happening in front of Pontius Pilate, of what was happening on the cross from a pulpit, like that I didn't say it out of? Never. I've never heard that out of a pulpit that I didn't say it out of. And that's, it happens in pulpits. In my personal experience, I haven't heard that. And that's okay. Like, that's my job in the pulpits that I stand in when I declare the gospel. That's okay. But as a kid growing up, I didn't have that opportunity for my spirit to bear witness with that spirit. And that's that's the point of diversity and diverse voices. And so that's what I'm speaking to. When you include a voice that does that, that's the opportunity you're giving me. And people or people from different experiences. When we, I'm thinking about women and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about a particular Korean women, several. I had one as a professor in church history. I'm thinking of one that I didn't have that people love and respected around preaching. I'm thinking of ones that I've read. There's a book called Beyond Colorblind. These voices, but once when we use those voices that include that, there's a spirit that it can bear witness. You feel the representation. Oh, I'm seen here. This comes from someone who understands what it's like to be me. Which goes back to the very first thing you said about articulating like the world isn't white and America is not white and white isn't the standard. So how do we create gatherings that embody that with integrity that invite everybody that, and that's like, it's funny. I was just reading an article this morning about like, and it, a new school article. So that means there's a social media thread and it was about like how to choose a church in LA. And, but they talked about be around for 90 days. Can you stick around for three months? Because you can really see someone's character in three months. So if Christina is in the pulpit one out of every four weeks or one every six weeks or once a quarter, and Christine is going to be intentional about including these voices from the margins that represent and embody a different experience but other preachers are not, then how often will I find myself represented? And that's just the 20 minutes of the gathering that is involved in like our understanding of God and trying to shape that. If the music never reflects our Korean, our Filipino, our Mexican, our Salvadoreños, our black sisters and brothers and all this, so all this stuff. So it just, it, it, so all, all that together is an invitation for us to be thoughtful about are we giving people an opportunity to feel represented and known and held and seen through how we are worshiping and practicing worship? How are our worship gatherings centering whiteness and, and, and the white interpretation of scripture? Like those are questions that come up for me. Well, Christina, I think it's about time that we actually get into Revelation 7-9. I so appreciate your time, your generosity with your story. Like, I feel like I'm waking up to things that I haven't in any of these conversations yet because of the ways that you are following Jesus around these issues of diversity. So I'm just so grateful that I have a sister, a white sister, who can help me come to a new understanding of like 
solidarity and spirit bearing witness to spirit. So let me read Revelation 7, 9 on the back end of all that we've talked about so far. And let's see kind of what comes up for you today. John on the island of Patmos, different interpretations. Is he speaking to Nero falling, the fall of Rome? Is he speaking to a spiritual reality that we haven't seen yet? All interpretations in Orthodox Christianity that are accepted and not heresy. <laughs> All that to say, there's more than one way to interpret this passage and this whole book. So John writes about this moment that he feels he has this vision and experience of what this is like. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Mm. This is Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Amen. Christina, what comes up for you today when you hear that? A longing, a, a longing to taste a little bit of what that will be like. I think that we do get glimpses of that um, here on earth because of God's incredible grace an outpouring of the spirit. We do, we get glimpses of it. But I think when you read that, I, I think that there's more, more work to be done mm. that more work to be done personally, more work to be done communally so that we can experience and taste that more and more. Just this, this hunger in me to um, see what heaven is going to be like, what that diversity of people look like what it will feel like um so that's that's part of what comes up for me and then the other part is trusting god in god's providence hmm. and confidence in that vision that we can have faith that that one day 
this vision will come to fruition and that we can have faith in that even when things are I probably shouldn't curse on this podcast, but really crappy right now that we're in this <laughs> terrible time um, mm. when there is so much suffering and when there is so much segregation and when there is so much mm. um, discord in our country um, that we can trust that God is God is going to get us there um, and that God is big enough and powerful enough to get us there even when we are failing, even when we're still learning, even when we're still grappling with how to, uh, how to do this. Mm. 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 I'm taking some notes here really quickly. <laughs> Has anybody else cursed on this podcast? <laughs> Not yet. I would have loved for you to have been the first one, but you, you took the wise, the high road. Um, you took the high road, and that's okay. Uh, on this my one, husband no, calls my husband calls me a potty mouth pastor. Oh yeah, we need more. <laughs> Listen, potty mouth pastors. I think they're people. Spirit bears witness to spirit in potty mouth pastors. I'll say that much. <laughs> oh man, I I think for me, what stands out for me in this reading that hasn't before is the the sense of like being in a space where your language, where you're feel represented like I, I literally haven't thought about that we've recorded several of these but what is it like to be in a worship space where the lamb is central god's power and goodness and name the essence of god god's glory and holiness is be at the whole environment is oriented around that and you mm. hear your native tongue and I'm thinking about the experiences, the diverse experiences of people in San Fernando Valley. And mm -hmm. what does it mean for me to walk into a worship space and to hear, oh, this person gets what it's like to be second generation mm. Mexican-American from mm -hmm. an immigrant family? This, I can feel, oh, this person gets what it must be like to navigate being undocumented. Mm. coming to this land made by immigrants in this worship space that uses this book that is this book for oppressed people by oppressed people by an immigrant mm. community that was exiled and established a home and overpowered and exiled again and this person gets it so i think for me i'm thinking in a new way about what does it mean to hear your perspective and your voice represented in that worship gathering, or at least like what must it have felt like, or what would it feel like to walk into, to be in such awe and you just hear God being proclaimed, but like it's in every voice, every perspective. We mentioned some of the diversity already. What does it mean to hear it from 
a woman, a sister? What does it mean to hear it from a sister of color? All these different, from a disabled sister of color, mm -hmm, from a, mm -hmm. and then and you just hear, oh, this person gets it. Mm -hmm. This person gets it. Oh, there's space for me here. And so I really appreciate that. And then to be candid, I feel, I feel a little, I, I don't know how to communicate what I feel. The way I would communicate it in a, in, in certain circles, I say, I feel a type of way. But when we talk about, when you talked about God's bigness and grandeur and that God's going to do it, there is a tension that rises up in me that says like, yeah, but what are we going to do? So there's like that sense in me that's saying like, yes, God is all powerful. God, yet God has charged us with this reality. We created this just this quote unquote justice system that incarcerates black and brown bodies right. and murders black and brown bodies and sentences them to unemployability for the rest of their life. Barely can vote, blah, 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 blah. all these things like we created that system. Right. So then we can't look at that system and be like, oh, God, like. You're all powerful. You're going to change that. We we created this system of racism in this country. And now we, so for me, there's like, honestly, there's a bit of frustration or anger that rises up in me about like, because I don't, I know who you are and you're, you're not like raising your hands like, well, I don't have a role to play in this, but like God's going to do it. You're not abdicating your responsibility. But for me, when I hear that, that's what comes up for me to be honest is like, yeah, like, God is not the author of racism at all. God doesn't benefit from white supremacy or white things being central or, like, being centered and people having to adapt to whiteness to, like, grow in their profession or to, like, move beyond these glass ceilings that they experience. So, I don't know. That came up for me, too. Well, I, I appreciate your telling me that. You know, I think that that's... I, I'm really grateful for your honesty and that and sharing what was coming up for you. Um, mm -hmm. Because while I didn't necessarily mean um, or try, it was, or trying to ad abdicate my responsibility, I can mm -hmm. see how it would come across that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, I appreciate your, your sharing with me where you were in that statement. Um, because I think that's, part of this conversation is trying to see what comes up for other people um, and how the words we use impact other people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I don't, um, yeah. so I, I didn't, I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, and I'm, I'm learning from that as well. I think, I think when I, Said when I think about God's providence, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is. I think there there are people, or there is instances where people have said, "Well, God's got it. I'm going to step out, step off, and God's got it." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think that that is the way we are being called to live our lives in this world. Mm -hmm. I think that we are called to take an active role in participating with um, with Christ in 
redemption mm-hmm. and in um, seeking justice mm-hmm. and in, like you said, writing some of some of those wrongs that we've created. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were the ones who created this country steeped in racism, founded mm-hmm. on racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I agree. I agree. I think we should take responsibility for the sins that we have embodied. Um, But I think what keeps me going in this conversation, what keeps me learning and working is that providence, is that God who says, Death is not the final word. Word, mm-hmm. uh, sin is not the final word. Mm-hmm. Um, brokenness and racism in the present is not the final word. But that I am still working, and I am, and I am big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to proclaim this good news, and that to have this vision of what will be. Mm-hmm. It's not just some fun idea. This mm-hmm. is what is going to be. Mm-hmm. And what we can trust in and what we can long for. Um, and what we can start to live into. Yeah. And that gives me comfort it gives me hope and it gives me that drive Mm -hmm. to keep working Mm -hmm. because if I didn't have that vision if I didn't feel like God's providence was gonna win Mm -hmm. God's sovereignty was gonna win Mm -hmm. it'd be a lot easier to give up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it'd be a lot easier to sit back and say well this world is pretty messed up so why even try Mm-hmm. Why keep going? Mm-hmm. But knowing that that's the picture that we, that that's the vision, that's the reality that we are going to get to live into mm-hmm. um, in the future. That's, that's something beautiful that we can, that keeps me going. It keeps us going. Mm-hmm. I, I feel I hope that helps a little bit with my previous comment. Yeah, no, and and your previous comment wasn't, it's helpful to me to know you more. Your previous comment wasn't something that needed to be like, there was nothing wrong with it. I just felt a way about it. And that's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with what you said or, you were sharing you and I was sharing me. So I appreciate that. And I do appreciate me appreciating that. And then like feeling aligned or some of that, that those are different things. But when I think about what you're talking about, I love what you say. Like, this is the roadmap. This is the picture that we're living into. And to say like, Oh, God is responsible for getting us there. Well, God gave us the picture and the map. So this is the compass. If it doesn't look like this, then it isn't God. 
if if we're not moving, if we're not in trajectory to all the voices in the room being lifted up and mattering and shaping how we experience whatever the room is, whether the room is a Presbyterian, whether the room is a church, whether the room is the global church, mm-hmm. like if it's not on the trajectory towards this, then it's not aligned or integrity with who God is and what God has said. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I really do appreciate that. I think for me, it, it helps me to get to that place of understanding. This is a roadmap. It's not. Even, it's not a roadmap. This is the compass. This is the star. As it relates to diversity, this is the north star. Every mm-hmm. voice in the room. Every voice lifted up. Every voice loud and proud, and every voice celebrated. Every voice contributing to the one voice, mm-hmm. creating this symphony of voices that that brings angels to their knees in awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. Like grasping for words, kingdom, glory, honor, power, forever and ever and ever. Like grasping for language in their awe at, at the diversity that they're experiencing and the beauty that's coming through that diversity. Mm-hmm. I, and I like, I like that image that of, of a roadmap for the North star that that is where we're headed. Um, But what are some things we can do to intentionally keep going down the road and to not stall and to not make a wrong turn? I think those are, those are the challenges that we're stepping into to not to stay stagnant, but to keep going mm-hmm. um, towards that, towards that North star. So mm-hmm. I appreciate, I appreciate talking to you about it yeah. and making sure that we, making sure that we're just, we're learning and not, not just learning, but we're taking proactive steps, not just staying still. Mm-hmm. Or taking reactive steps. Yeah. I think for me, you know, in this moment, I feel like, uh, in my mind, and I, there's this, um, there's an urge to be like, well, give someone the, the actual, what's a, what's a step I can take? What's the actual thing they can do? And we're not going to do that. Even though we prepare to talk about the best practice, you who are listening, my sister, my brother, oh, I'm not going to be the first one to curse on here, Christina. So that's for sure. So (laughs) you are a grown human being. You are a thoughtful Jesus following human. And so I don't have to tell you that. What, what we just said is like, this is the target. This is the North star of diversity as a critically thinking human. You know, your life better than I do. Do I have great book? Sure. Do do I have great podcast recommendations? Sure. Do you don't need those. You have your own relationship with God. You're guided by the spirit on your own. You can ask yourself that question. Does my life point to this North Star as it relates to diversity. This isn't the North, the North, North Star. The North, North Star is the story of the gospel and Christ and God's goodness and faithfulness to us. The invitation 
to transformation and newness and shalom and a world where everyone gets to experience shalom. But you can ask yourself that question. How can I make, what's my next step towards this nor towards this reality and what can i do all the things that have been talked about in this conversation so we honor you in that way we will not baby you like we do our children and uh because you're not a baby you're a critically thinking adult and we love you we'll treat you with that agency and that creativity because if i, I would just limit you i would limit you the Holy Spirit has a unique in invitation for each of us listening, even me. Like I've grown in this conversation in ways I didn't expect because of the beauty of what it means to be together with my sister and to be spurred on towards greater faith and greater deeds in my Christ following. So, Christina, I'm so grateful for all the time that you've given us today. I'm grateful for this conversation and the ways that we're invited to the diverse reality with integrity and the ways that we prioritize and see the world and make decisions based on others experience thank you for embodying that christina thank you so much mark all right family that's it for this episode of realizing revelation 7 9 we will see you next time peace